Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Let's say you've got a friend um, who's feeling depressed. Um, And so think of it as they're at the bottom of a well. And in that well, um, it's wet, it's muddy, uh, it's an old well. And usually when you have other friends walk by, they care about the friend. And what they want to do is just throw a rope in and say, get out, right? Get out. That's like, that's the sort of um, pulling them up. Pull yourself out. I I, I threw the rope. Right. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Hurry, you know, hurry because yeah, we got to go to the party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't leave you here, but I don't want to stay here either, you know. And so, what is empathy? Empathy is making that decision that you're going to jump into the well with them hmm. and get in there and get muddy and get dirty, but also to know that. That's how you're going to get them out a little sooner. Welcome back, Look Up listeners. Uh, Here I am again, uh, recording the introduction to the second part of my conversation with Paul Chen, the founder of Flourish Tech, and Dr. Karen Yeh, clinical psychologist and uh, curator of some of the programs around empathy at Flourish Tech. So in the previous episode, uh, we discussed the rising um, epidemic of mental health issues in the United States and uh, how one in four Americans suffer from clinical depression and a rising number of children are struggling with depression and anxiety. Uh, and we dive into why this might be the case and the role that technology might have played in accelerating this. But in this episode, we start to dig into some of the solutions. And we have uh, Karen who describes the tools uh, that can be trained for an individual to become more empathic and what it means to join, quote unquote, with an individual who is close to you, who is suffering from depression or severe anxiety. And we evaluate where we go from here generally uh, and the importance of empathy as a tool to combat this crisis. Uh, Little did I know before this that empathy can be trained and that's an important aspect of this. There is a solution out there. We also identify the challenges that we might face dealing with someone who suffers from depression, especially if a loved one uh, is struggling. It might feel infuriating at times. Uh, We often uh, blame them for their symptoms uh, or wonder why they can't just snap out of it. Uh, And we, we dive into that a little bit. And then finally, we talk about resetting the rules of engagement for our relationships. I decided to break this episode up into two parts because I think it's an extremely important topic, uh, specifically today with many of us isolated in this COVID-19 crisis, um, lacking, you know, relationships and support and our mental health may be falling uh, behind some other important aspects of life that we need to take care of. But this is really a silent crisis. 
Uh, and we're starting to, you know, raise more awareness for it. And I think the stigma is starting to subside, but it is uh, something that hits close to home. And again, as I said in the previous episode, if you're struggling, you are not alone. And I think that's super important. That's the first thing and most important thing for you to understand is that you are not alone and there are solutions. And so definitely seek professional help. If someone close to you is struggling, check out Flourish to help you develop your skills and tools around how you can best support them. All right. Without any more from me, I'll bring you this episode with Paul and Dr. Karen from Flourish Tech. Well, you guys must have had some great, great like midnight to morning talks um, because you cover so much material in just one I question. Mean, I, it and might, I'm like, it may or may not be ADHD. Here. I don't know. You can diagnose me later. <laughs> Um, I want to address the, the physiological um, question or, or, or um, medication. Um, and, and that is that it isn't, in a sense, purely physiological. You know, we can see a, a physiological basis for it. Uh, and I say that carefully. Um, but that doesn't mean that medication is the best solution for that. Uh, we haven't actually, you know, gotten to a point where we truly understand what depression or what anxiety is. Um, We see symptoms of that and we see, we understand certain signs of that and how the brain operates, but uh, pharmacologically, we don't have a solution for that. Um, To some extent, you could say the brain is still a black box. And so when they develop a new medication or you have, you know, your old class of medications, Um, it doesn't work the same way for every person. It doesn't work the same way for every brain. Um, And sometimes uh, you could have, let's say you could give the same dose to uh, a hefty 52-year-old male, and it's going to put him out. Antidepressant, you know, he's going to feel sleepy. He'll be yawning all day. You give the same dosage to like, a 22-year-old female, waif-like, no reaction at all, didn't help. You know, so when we're trying medication, we don't know. You, you, know, you give them the first dose, you see them a week later, and then thereafter you see them every three weeks, and you might have to change the dose. You don't know what's going to work. And then if you look at you know, the pattern of um, the big pharma companies, they'll, they'll have one medication, and, and this will be great for... Um, anti-seizure and then the next thing you know they're going to be marketing it for stomach upset you know so so it's sort of like well if if they can play around with this then no we don't understand we don't understand the body uh let alone the brain so um you talked uh when you were talking about being an uncle (laughs) and you're talking about (laughs) uh, i'm (laughs) i'm like holding everything in here so you're talking about being an uncle and also like uh you know going to the gym watching what you eat you know all the other different activities that you you have um as a single person i mean i was admiring that because 
that's actually part of mental health too. So one of the um, one of the evaluations and, and the approach that we take um, at our center, we call it spans, but we attend to the person's spirituality, their physical activity, nutrition, and sleep. And so each of these aspects is getting to that part of um, that everything that lends to um, mental health, whether we're talking about the mind when we're talking about spirituality or the physical body um, for, for exercise, physical activity, we call it, um, nutrition, your diet, you know, and how well you sleep. So if when we see a person like a new patient, those are things that we evaluate for. And the way we explain it to our clients is that if they're willing to work on any one of these or some of these things, then what they're doing is if their goal is to feel better, whether because of depression or anxiety or, or you know, some other, some other um, uh, you know, mental health aspect, that each time they're willing to kind of improve, say, their sleep or their physical activity, it's like climbing one more rung of the ladder so that they don't have to do the mental work all by themselves to get up to the top of the ladder because everything is connected. So when we're talking about, let's say, medication, if you cannot use medication, that's great because it's kind of like, again, you know, throwing something into a, throwing a, a, a pebble into a pond. Um, although I do want to say that there are some uh, diagnoses that do require medication. But for uh, depression and anxiety, sometimes we don't, we don't need to go there first. And if they start exercising and they start their physical activity, the body actually can take care of uh, the, the brain a lot better than introducing um, a, uh, you know, like an antidepressant, let's say. Even the heart can produce a, a hormone that will calm the brain down. And so if you get yourself up to like 60 to 80% of your, your regular heart rate, the heart creates a, a hormone that crosses the blood-brain barrier and tells the brain to calm down because, hey, we're just exercising down here. This is not an emergency. So most people who uh, suffer from anxiety, after they do a morning walk like we prescribe, feel calmer and have more clarity. And that effect can last for four hours easily. If they do it every day, they've suddenly changed um, their base, uh, you know, subject, like uh, feeling of, of depression or anxiety. They actually feel better. And with that clarity, it allows us to do therapy more easily. And they don't have to do it while they're feeling so anxious or so depressed. We see the same effect if we're feeding the body well. So just kind of looking at these aspects, we can see that you've got, um, actually with exercise, you've got a top-down and bottom-up approach. And then we go and do therapy so much more easily. And there have been studies that have been shown that exercise and cognitive behavioral therapy have very positive effects on people over just, let's say, CBT alone. So, a quick, yeah. a quick question. What is, um, what is the um, hormone, I think you said a hormone that gets released, that the heart releases to signal to the brain that um, it's safe? Is it, is it serot serotonin or we can, we can Google it too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's A and P uh, for sure. It's A and P. Um, it, 
so yeah, uh, so serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, um, they, they are all players uh, in terms of um, what uh, physical activity or upping the physical, physical activity level uh, in, uh, in the body can do uh, for the brain. And a lot of this is about like rewiring um, or providing, uh, uh, say, uh, an abundance of raw materials. Mm-hmm. Um, because it used to be thought that after age 22 to 24, it was downhill for all of us <laughs> with yeah, um, neurogenesis, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, and we, that, that's not true. Um, so there's a lot that we can improve. There's a lot of aging effects that we can reverse, and there's a lot of chronic stress effects, uh, chronic stress damage that we can reverse. How do you, like, we were just chatting about, um, you know, empathy and kind of the challenge of somebody's depressed and often the symptoms of depression and anxiety is like, you know, is, is overwhelm or in, inaction kind of like the vasal vagal or like deer in the headlights response. I certainly struggle with that. Like, I, you know, not necessarily clinically depressed, probably a garden variety neurotic as my old shrink used to tell me, but when I'm at my moments where I seemingly need these things the most is when I have the hardest time breaking through that barrier to actually do them. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like knowing what we know that these are simple practices that can be put in place, but are also exceedingly difficult for somebody that's feeling anxious and depressed. How can we kind of jumpstart that process for someone? Uh, yeah, that, that's, an, that's interesting. Because usually it takes like another person, you know, to help, right? Mm. So, I mean, unless you're feeling depressed and, and you can read a book, you know, about <laughs> jumpstarting the brain, which there are, um, sometimes just the presence of another person to sit with them, uh, to show encouragement can make such a huge difference. You know, so so in our case, you know, we have the advantage of, the, the therapist is there to offer that kind of help. And even our therapists are very careful to not dictate um, to, let's say, the depressed um, person to say, these are the things you have to do. So they, our, our therapists do work with them very skillfully, and it, it's a slow process. Um, but once we get that jump start, <clears throat> it's amazing what these changes can do. But I would say the joining process is the most critical. Um, and also, um, I mean, even to that end, we were made to be social animals. We, we are social. Community helps. And so being in some kind of community, being in a relationship with another person already has a transformative effect. If that other person can be empathic with just a few words, um, it can be very powerful uh, because you get that almost like a, a neural alignment um, of that person suddenly feeling that they're not alone anymore, you know, and you don't have to understand everything that they're going through. You just have to show that you get, you get how they might be feeling. I love so that. You, I wrote, um, oh, go, go ahead. Oh, okay. Paul. Can I just quickly? Yeah, of course. I we haven't heard from you in a while. I want to. Well, because uh, this is, I'm learning, you know, I'm, I'm a student. Um, me, me too. This emphasis on relationships is, I would say probably the number one differentiator for how we are trying to tackle or improve people's mental well-being. 
Karen pointed out we are social animals. I believe Karen was quoting Aristotle. And you know, 20 years ago, uh, there's a group of researchers at Michigan, University of Michigan, that showed having bad relationships is as likely as having a heart attack to cause someone to become clinically depressed. So, you know, the, the research world already knows the tie between having flourishing relationships and having like a flourishing life, including your mental health. But somehow so far, kind of the mainstream emotional and mental well-being methodology in the United States or in the West is largely individualistic, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, Mark, it's like just just listening to how you ask the question, you know, how do I pull myself out of mm -hmm. a state where I'm feeling less motivated? Well, the answer is, yeah, to, to Karen's point, maybe you can. Maybe you do need another person to walk this journey mm -hmm. with you. So that is the kind of insight that we tap into. That's how we're designing our product around, which is how do we create a more empathic network so that, you know, for a depressed person, that person will be set on a better, faster path to recovery. And for someone who's already healthy, how can he or she increase his or her performance even more by having these empathic kind of relationships around them? Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great actual, actually, that's a great segue into Flourish um, because I don't think we've even really touched on the product itself uh, so I'd love to understand the product better for the listeners. And the question that's been lingering in the back of my mind as well that I just want to put out so that we can get to it eventually, or I might forget, is how do we scale empathy? And, you know, are these in the same way that throwing a, a stone in a pond is an analogy for, you know, trying to use... Uh, an antidepressant for every instance, is it possible to take something like CBT um, where it's very personalized, very um, focused on the individual and apply that to, the, to a mass group of people? Um, so first the product, and then the second is, you know, how is the product designed to scale empathy? Mm -hmm. So at Flourish, we are building a platform to enable lay people like you and me, Mark, mm. to learn from experts like Karen on how to become empathic and importantly, practice what people like Karen teach us to how to become empathic with other peers in practice sessions, in role plays. And we are using software to do this. Mm. Now we have a website, but we're building an app to do this. So when you come to our website, you will first be recommended a number of short videos. Uh, in this case, they're all given by Karen on the topic of empathy. What are the essential skills of empathy? And by the way, a lot of people don't even realize empathy can be trained, which Karen can talk. About I was going to ask, I was going to ask that next. Yeah. And Karen also like, can empathy be controlled <laughs> within yeah. an individual? Because oftentimes it's, 
It's like, everything is coming at me. I'm a sponge. How do I put up the barrier? I don't want all of that, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, you, 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 you watch videos that are pre-recorded by experts like Dr. Karen, and then we put you into right now one-on-one -on -one Zoom meetings, uh, 20 to 30 minutes, where you are practicing with another peer who shares your learning goals. So let's say if I want to work on, you know, maybe my work relationship, then we will pair you up with another person who also wants to, you know, work on his or her work relationship and vice versa. And a key reason for why we do that is empathy is best taught experientially. So maybe Karen, you can, Karen is the, uh, our in-house empathy guru. So <laughs> enlighten us, Karen. Yes, please. So, so the exciting thing is, yeah, uh, um, empathy can be learned. Um, empathy can be improved upon. Um, I think that we're all, um, for, for the most part, with some exceptions, capable of uh, empathy, capable of sympathy. But what is empathy? Right? It's, it's really being able to join the person. It's walking a mile in their shoes. Um, even if you haven't had the same life experiences that they have, it's possible still to empathize. Um, so when we're talking about empathy, in some ways, like when, when Paul and I are talking about empathy, we're talking about a set of empathy skills. Um, when I think you were referring to it, like, can you turn it off, right? Because <laughs> everything is coming at you. Um, it, in that case, it's not so much the skills. It's just maybe your propensity to really feel for people. Um, like artists can really feel uh, for people. They can be more vulnerable. Um, you know, certain individuals are just wired that way. And that, that can be a lot harder, you know, to sort of um, shut out the world or the noise to some extent. Um, but when we're talking about empathy, we are talking about like skills. So how can you empathize better? How can you join somebody better? Um, and um, that, uh, that is something that then if it's a skill, you can choose to empathize or you can choose not to empathize. You can learn to recognize when empathy is required and when, um, and also when maybe your empathy is a little faulty. Um, so, so then here, um, to be able to learn very concrete skills about uh, listening well and how to respond, how to um, how to share what you're feeling so that you're not just doing like an interviewer, uh, you know, just asking questions to kind of get in their shoes, um, how to really establish that rhythm of talking to somebody. All of that is best done through live practice because it's in live practice that you're feeling your own feelings as well. And you need those feelings to inform you. It makes it so much more real. Um, and so, in terms of like scalability, um, there's a nice balance at Flourish with the learning aspect and each person like learning the skills, but then also being able to get the live practice. And in some cases, even to work with um, a clinician um, and get, uh, you know, have, have like question and answer sessions. Um, and I had the, um, I, I was able to do a class um, with Flourish. So really, you know, just worked one-on-one uh, -on -one with people as well. Um, but it's a nice balance because we are trying to reach as many people as we can to help as many people as we can, but at the same time, maintain that quality um, of, um, 
just raising the standard of um, of having people connect with other people. What is this joining process that you mentioned before? Um, it sounds like something that you've identified as a, a critical element of of empathy building. Yeah. So, um, so let's say you've got a friend um, who's feeling depressed, um, and so think of it as they're at the bottom of a well, and in that well, um, it's wet, it's muddy. Uh, it's an old well. And usually when you have other friends walk by, <clears throat> they care about the friend. And what they want to do is just throw a rope in and say, get out, right? Get out. <laughs> that's like, that's the sort of um, pulling them up. Pull yourself the out. I, can, right? I, I, I threw the rope. Right. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Hurry, you know, hurry because yeah, we got to go to the party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't leave you here, but I don't want to stay here either, mm. you know? And so what is empathy? Empathy is making that decision that you're going to jump into the well with them mm. and get in there and get muddy and get dirty, but also to know that that's how you're going to get them out a little sooner, you know, is to be able to join them. So that's your literal picture of what it means to join them. And so when you're doing that, you're listening to them. You're listening to the, what they're sharing with you, you know, what they have to say, what it's like for them, what it's been like for them. And you're also helping them to recognize what they might be feeling if they're not already telling you. You know, to imagine that this could be very lonely. You know, it could be this feeling of, of maybe being defective or hopeless or stuck. And no. then also, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, something's coming up for me pretty resonant. So I, I want to get this one out um, because... I think I question, we speak about depression and mental health as an illness. Um, I would, I'm getting this sense that part of the reaction that individuals have towards someone else that's depressed or anxious is potentially like an innate concern that it's contagious. And so is, is depression, you know, like potentially um, contagious and my, in, in other words, you know, my fear, and I'll, I'll put this in my terms, is like giving of myself too much to the other when I'm, I can't, you know, like I can go down in the well with them, I can grab onto them, but, and then I can start pulling up the rope, but let's say the rope breaks and then we're both in the well, mm -hmm. or then you give me, you know, two friends in the well, and I'm like, all right, I got you both, I'm coming down, but I have one rope. <laughs> You know, and I see this, I see this with, with caretakers, caregivers who are natural empaths, right? Natural caregivers who are like, call me if you need anything. And then three hours later, they've just gotten off the phone with, you know, two of their friends who had, who lost someone or who are having a hard time at work. And it's like, you know, like that's not their, they're not professional clinicians. So how can they protect themselves and and set boundaries while also being empathetic. It's like this, this, it's, it seems like a 
a very fine dance for us all to be playing. Um, yeah, it, it, to some extent, it is a fine dance. Um, in other cases, if you have those boundaries, you know, then um, it, it's like how do how do therapists do it too? You know, trying to maintain the boundary between work and personal life. Um, dealing with your own feelings. It's really important to be aware of your own feelings. You know, we talk about mindfulness for our patients, but therapists to be healthy need to practice mindfulness as well. Um, and yeah, you'll find with people who are natural caretakers, they want to give themselves, um, you know, to their work, to, to the people that they're caretaking for. Um, and so boundaries are really important. Um, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's a professional responsibility for therapists to know when they're burned out or when there's too much going on for them personally that they um, will not be as effective um, to their patients. And then to, to either get consultation or pull back, that's a good model to follow uh, for, for just uh, your, your caretaker too, you know, is to know to have somebody to talk to. Um, and usually having another perspective really helps. Um, but that also just speaks to like your concern for if you jump down in that well, then what if I get stuck too? And that's usually the, um, the fear statement, you know, that people um, tell themselves as to why they wouldn't jump down in the well because they don't want to catch it. Um, for the most part, no, you, you can't really catch depression. Um, but you know, I, I, I say that lightly because if, if being with somebody who's depressed um, doesn't affect you, then you're not really connected, right? So, so you, are going to be, um, you are going to be affected, but not in the same way. Um, you know, it could feel, you might have a sense of frustration. Um, you might have a sense of hopelessness, but not in the same way. It's just, you know, draining for you. And then I think that's really the seed of how Flourish started was, how to help caregivers. Um, the vision has since expanded um, beyond that. Um, but still, it is um, to, to help caregivers and to support caregivers uh, for that. So yeah, we do see it um, as, a, as a potential um, risk or, or something that could happen. Um, but it's those boundaries. And you're training, and essentially that's a skill that can also be trained or practices that can also be trained as a part of as a part of the process yeah so it's mindfulness. Like, hey. mm -hmm. yeah mindfulness uh, maintaining healthy boundaries absolutely um the other part of that given that um, we teach empathy as a set of skills is that that means you can use the empathy or you cannot use empathy just because mm -hmm. you know the skills doesn't mean that you empathize with everybody around you um, we can all think of people that we would not want to get close to and, and empathy as a set of skills done well helps you to get close to people and yet there are people in our lives that we know we don't want to get close to and so <laughs> don't, don't use empathy <laughs> don't use empathy yeah that's cool i guess if you're if if one is an empath empathic person naturally it's also interesting to identify the skill set so that you can be aware when you're using it in a situation that it's like, eh, like, sorry, this is not, we're not sharing this well. <laughs> right. and I'm doing like a little barrier with my hands right now for the listeners. I forget that there's no one watching. Um, May I give a uh, kind of a, 
Of course. Somewhat lighthearted example of how empathy <laughs> can really become a broader vision beyond just, uh, I guess, addressing relationships between someone who is perhaps clinically depressed. Yeah, that's about a month ago. We were moving from California. And uh, as anyone moves, you know, you have to dump a lot of stuff. Um, long story short, uh, one of our neighbors who I have never met. So this goes uh, goes to the point, you know, point on, on social isolation. So yeah, I live in that place for two years. Didn't know this neighbor, but she came to a woodwork and basically chastised me for just, you know, dumping the stuff that we have in the kind of recycle area because the city was, uh, I guess, you know, slow on, on, on taking out the trash. I could feel my blood boiling because she was calling me names and just being my face and just, yeah, not a great situation. And, <laughs> but I kind of, you know, through, I guess, through the in- empathy training, I, I first recognized my own emotion and I realized at that moment, since she was criticizing me, I need to, I needed to disarm her, which in our lingo is to find some grain of truth in what she was talking about. So I kept listening. I didn't respond. And she told me how, you know, every single time when someone moved out of that apartment complex, she had to be the person taking care of the trash, taking care of the dump and no one paid her. At that moment, I said, well, you're very kind. You're a very kind person. Thank you. Mm. That totally threw her off. I could just, she was so, so surprised <laughs> by my so response. Cool. And I could just notice her body language shifting. She's like, don't you compliment me. And, 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 <laughs> yell at me. <laughs> and interesting enough, Mark, I kid you not, she started to apologize to me for how emotional she got. And we ended up having a very friendly conversation. So that was case in point. The skills that Karen taught me in that moment mm. resolved an unnecessary conflict. I mean, that's just, a, that's just a tiny example. I mean, how many of those moments we experience on a daily basis, right? With our coworker, with our oh, family yeah. member, friend. Absolutely. And how, you know, like, yeah, I mean, for me, my, one of my practices is like, I need to, I'm actually the opposite or I feel that I'm the opposite right now of, you know, this needs to be done in community. I actually feel like sometimes I just need to be alone. <laughs> like let's, let's not be in community just for a little bit. Um, there's too many opportunities to practice empathy sometimes, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but I, so, so, okay. So we were discussing kind of the solution. The product is empathy in action. So it's kind of practicing. And then how do you think about, you know, how do you think about scaling that? Mm-hmm. And obvious, you know, it's obvious to us in this conversation that there's a problem, right? This mental health crisis that we're describing. Mm-hmm. How, how is, is that enough to drive adoption of flourish? Is that enough to get people involved and say, I want to be, you know, I want to be on this app. I want to take care of the people close to my life, or are there other ways that you plan on getting um, users involved? That's the grand experiment, Mark. Are we mm. ready for a different vision of what technology can do to us? We already witnessed what technology did to us in the past 20 years. There are many wonders that technology did, um, so I, I won't touch on those. I want to address kind of the negative 
collateral damages that technology has caused us in the past. We just ended, a, well, I guess the election is still ongoing. I haven't checked the results <laughs> last time. I don't think we have a president yet. Yeah. So, you know, we're still coming out of a highly divisive period in the, you know, um, in the state of our country. You could make an argument that certain algorithms, I think I touched on this earlier, certain algorithms that seek to maximize user engagement, because that's how you make money, tend to recommend you contents that piss you off, for the lack of a better word, because we know that mm -hmm. anger is highly engaging. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the AI is kind of amoral in that sense. You know, the AI just wants you to spend as much time on the platform as possible. But as humanity, is that good enough? You know, is that is it good enough for us to 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 let some algorithm just figure out how we can retain eyeballs? Now, I believe in a different future that I want to put my children in, and I'm working very hard to build that different future, which is how can we use technology to bring humanity back, to really advance human flourishing that really seeks to create deep relationships. And so this goes back to kind of the ultimate question, how do we scale this? Well, we can talk about social change if we talk about it in the abstract, and particularly when it comes to relationships. Relationships by definition are at the beginning one-on-one. -on -one. Now, when a billion people have a lot of deep relationships, you have a big scale. But for an individual, I got to start with my most immediate relationships first. So that means my wife, my child, my working relationship with Karen, you know, now with, with you on this podcast. And what we believe is let's give people the tools to know how to engage in a way that brings us together. Even if we hold different opinions, can you, I mean, I just yearn to have a civilized conversation with someone who holds completely different political view from me today. Mm -hmm. Right now, at this moment, I'm kind of scared to have that conversation because I don't know how I'm going to respond. But I just yearn for the day when that is possible. And we are, in a sense, kind of creating a social norm. And we're creating a new movement. Now, that's going to be difficult. Well, you know, 20 years ago, uh, Facebook started a movement and they succeeded. So why can't we? Absolutely. I think... Um... I have this vision of like a network of nodes kind of lighting up, you know, empathic nodes lighting up around the world, connecting with one person, then another person, then another, you know, with the proper skills kind of to go out there, I guess, you know, that, and I, I've spoken a lot on this show about kind of those algorithms. Um, Maybe, maybe I add, think, may I add one more thing? The, the, yeah. the, what's, what's truly scalable is our recognition that for group dynamics, for networks to work out, you got to have the, you got to have the right initialization. So let's take the presidential debate, for example. The first presidential debate is, for lack of a better word, a disgrace. 
The second one, much better. In fact, I would say I even enjoyed the second presidential debate. Now, same people, same candidates. Yeah, you know, the moderator behaved differently. But most importantly, the rules of engagement, <coughs> the initialization is different for the second debate versus the first debate. Oh, you're going to keep talking after two minutes? Well, we're going to turn, turn off your mic. We didn't have that in the first presidential debate. So mm. what we are trying to do is to reset the initialization for a group of people. So before they actually engage with each other, they have the right mindset, behavior, and habit to engage effectively. Otherwise, it's actually counterproductive to put people together. Well, I want to see it in action. So I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to try it out um, and join up. I think uh, I'd love to continue to, you know, we've, we've, we've chatted for a little over an hour now, I think maybe almost an hour and a half. I'd love to continue to, to chat about this. I want to be mindful of your time and the listener's time as well um, in that relationship. And so I'm going to offer, you know, the opportunity for, for either of you to kind of share some closing thoughts with the listeners on any of what we discussed or anything else that's popping up for you. Karen, you want to go first? <laughs> well, 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 I'm gathering my thoughts. Mean. Sorry, Karen. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's all good. I mean, it's, you know, this is, you're used to the pointing questions for a little bit and then. <laughs> I think if, if maybe just like leaving uh, you and your listeners with the thought that um, as far as like change goes, like change to learn empathy, to be more empathic, um, that it comes with willingness, um, you know, willingness to change. Um, and there's a lot of good reasons not to change. Um, and, and in some ways, this is how we work with depression and anxiety too. Um, there's usually good reasons why we're feeling depressed or good reasons to be anxious. And so that kind of self-awareness to, to desire change um, you know, the acknowledgement that it will take work because it's, it's coming out of a safe zone, a comfort zone, um, will take work. But is it worth it? Is it worth it to achieve that change? Is it worth it to take that one step out of the circle to make that shift? And empathy takes work too because we like our point of view. We would rather people come and join our point of view than to, to try to understand somebody else's, mm -hmm. you know. But again, is the relationship worth it to, to bring that relationship to a new level? So if you got the willingness, then I think so much is possible, so much improvement, and, and it's really so much good for the community, whatever your community is. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Paul, you got your thoughts together? <laughs> How are you going to follow that one, Paul? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, definitely you guys are well. awesome. So I'll keep it short. So uh, my chance of messing up is statistically low. <laughs> no, <I'll> keep going. <laughs> Technology is a tool. No more or lower, no less. So let us use it to advance human flourishing. 
Thank you, Mark. Beautiful. Thank you both so much. Um, users, listeners, where can it, we're going to put in the show notes, but where's the best place to find Flourish and, and get involved? Yeah, our website, flourishtech.us. Uh, all our social links are on there and we have lots of uh, resources and we're offering free trial for people. So folks who are kind of new to, well, in fact, most people are new to this because we're creating something new. You can try out for free, experience it, and you can watch uh, those videos that are prepared by, by Karen. And then, uh, yeah, join, join, uh, try it out, Ch- uh, practice in these role play sessions. In fact, um, you might find me practicing with you in one of those sessions. Awesome. I'll be there. And maybe you'll find me as well, because I'm definitely going to sign up and check it out. Thank you both so much for your time. And thank you for your work. Um, more importantly, like this show is an opportunity for me to kind of share and highlight um, the types of opportunities, the types of individuals that are you know, on the front lines for some of these major shifts that we're going through collectively. And this is, this is one of them. This is one of, this is, this is it, right? Like our collective mental health is the survival of our, of our race, of our species depends on it. First of all, at a macro level, a micro level, like, don't we all just want to, you know, feel good, live a good life, be happy, nebulous term sometimes, but thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Karen. Thanks, Pa. All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Lookup every Wednesday morning, Eastern time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.